All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Podcast. This is your host, Tim. And this is Sile. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Uh, unfortunately, Mikey will not be able to join us. So without further ado, uh, welcome to a brand new episode of Quirkcast. So Tim, I heard that you can't travel faster than light, or it's even really difficult to get at the speed of light. But like, I want to really visit the like nearest galaxy. Is there like a way for me to do that faster? What would it take for me to like be able to do that? Yeah, so we should quantify this statement. I think it's it was attributed to Einstein's original theory of uh, special relativity. I'm going to be like more technical but precise. It means that if you zoom in like a very nearby patch of space time, such that the space time it's it's flat enough uh, around you, then there's no way for you to go uh, faster than the speed of light. That statement. I don't know. It, it just seems like some, some pretty arbitrary thing, right? Like you can ask the question, oh, what, maybe, you know, like what, what if I just try really hard? But part of it is actually embedded into the notion of a space-time. So locally is very important. Two people nearby, you're never going to be able to measure your buddy moving at the speed of light. It might get close, but not quite. And that's because in space-time, we kind of, uh, we don't think of just space and time. Like velocity is the amount of space over the amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. But really the right way to think about space-time is there's space and time and you're going through space and time at the same time. The, the language makes it a little hard to describe it. But when I say time, I'm talking about a different kind of time, right? Maybe you, with respect to some other notion of time, you're going through space and time. Yeah. So actually, before we delve into that, can you give our listeners a bit of an overview of like the, sh the shift from thinking of space and time differently to thinking of them as like part of the same thing? Because mm -hmm. when I remember when I learned high school physics, I would like imagine a car is driving, it covers this amount of distance in a certain amount of time. And I think of like distance over time. And that's like my velocity. And I think of these two things as separate things. Like, why are they related to each other? Like, what, what tells you they're connected? So this comes from observation. So imagine, imagine you're on a train, you throw a baseball on the train, let's say, and then to you, the baseball is moving at some speed. When people on the side of the train, the baseball is moving a lot faster because, because you're in the train. So, so that kind of intuition is assuming that there's sort of this global clock, right? Like someone is timing it. I don't like to use this word, but imagine there's like a God that keeping track of time, like yeah. the God of time. Yeah. For light, that doesn't work. You know, if you shine a beam of light on the train, so you perceive some speed of light and someone outside of the train perceives the same speed of light. And then you scratch your head. It's just like, it's not possible to reconcile these facts. Something's got a gift because the math just doesn't add up, right? If you look at the high school math, from your perspective, the person on the train shine a beam of light forward and back. Mm -hmm. The light has to try travels less distance, you know, to, to reach the other person, right? Because the person's moving forward. You can kind of visualize it a little bit. So literally the math doesn't add up. Then basically it tells you that it must not be the case that there's a God keeping track of time for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it means that time must be kind of like space, like different objects can go through time at different rates. So mm -hmm. when you start thinking about that, you start thinking, hey, look, 
you know, space and time can also mix into each other. When, once you go through similar, like these thought experiments on light beams and whatnot, like if you, if you look at how much distance light traveled, like, you know, from the perspective of the person on the train, I'm on the train, you also see that space is also twisted in some ways. So this is where the concept of space-time coming comes from. Really, in order to talk about anything about our universe, we actually have to talk about both. And there, and when you talk about rates, you know, of, of going through things, it becomes quite tricky because there's rates of going through space and rates of going through time. Huh. So if I to summarize what you said, like the Newtonian classical way of thinking is that there's an absolute time. It and everybody measures the same amount of time and everybody can be synchronized and like yep. a second is one second in everybody's reference frame. But if we were to hold that to be true, then you can't have the speed of light be constant in every single reference frame. Exactly. So to, to accommodate that you're holding that speed of light stays the same velocity or rather same speed in all reference frames, you need to kind of change this notion of like, that space and time are not actually different things, but sort of like one and not necessarily one in the same thing, but like they're kind of both on the same level in a certain sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's exactly it. If you, if you want to have a master record of time, then the speed of light cannot be constant. It just cannot be. So in order for that to, you know, to be constant, you have to give something up and to give that right. thing that was given up was that time itself is like space. It has to be relative. Yeah. And from this angle, you kind of see that, you know, there's something special about the speed of light. In fact, there's, there's nothing particular about light itself. There are actually quite a few things that travel at the speed of light. But the speed of light itself is interesting because it, it becomes this, um, like imagine you have a particle that travels at some speed, I don't know, five miles per hour, 20 miles per hour, right? And, uh, and to different observers, that speed could be different, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if I'm moving with it, if I'm moving not with it, that could be different. Like imagine, imagine you have a particle and you, you slowly dial up the speed and at some point it just hits the speed of light. All of a sudden, doesn't matter who you are you see that it's move at the speed of light. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. That's super odd oh. if, you, if you were to think about it. Wow. So you're telling me like, if I'm in a car and I'm driving and I turn on my headlights, those emit photons that move at the speed of light, whether I'm in my car, whether I'm outside, I will observe that that beam of light moves at the speed of light. I mean, minus like, you know, the air resistance and stuff like that, but just assume it's like a vacuum, you know, mm -hmm. it just shoot light out. It'll be measured at the speed of light, no matter which reference frame I'm in, is what you're saying. Yep, exactly. And that's the mind-twisting fact. It's irrelevant. It, it's sort of odd that relativity tells you everything is relative, but it keeps this fact that if something moves at the speed of light, mm -hmm. I mean, light just happens to do that. But if anything moves at, at the speed of light, it, it just is a brute fact. Doesn't matter what, what observer it is, it moves at the speed of light. But let me clarify, it has to be a local observer. So, so far it has to be close enough that there's no, not so much curvature of, of um, space-time, yeah. right? Because it's hard to talk about even speed when you're far, far enough away. So, yeah. Huh. So before, before we get into that, I, I want to like dig into the significance of like, of things need to, that speed of light is constant every reference frame. So 
how does that affect like a, our like experience? Because we don't on daily basis, other than light itself, experience things that move close to that speed. So like, what would kind of be the intuition if we were moving very close to that speed, but not at the speed of light? So in, of course, in everyday experience, we don't, we don't experience that, right? But you can kind of imagine a thought process. Imagine you, let's say, are in a spaceship, just accelerating, increasing your speed relative to Earth, and just kind of moving uh, faster and faster and faster. Like, what would the world look like? Mm -hmm. So first of all, there's this, what we call the Doppler effect, Doppler shift. It is it, this effect where if, if, if an ambulance comes, comes toward you, it's like, right? If you're hearing it, mm -hmm. and as the ambulance moves away, it's gonna shift, uh, redshift, and by redshift I mean the frequency goes down. It goes like, right? Yeah. And, and in in particle physics, low frequency just means less energy. Okay. And and a high high energy uh, or blue shift is is uh, related to high frequency. That just is has to do with the quantum nature of of everything. So your experience as you go into this spaceship, let's say charging toward, let's say charging toward Sahil, imagine, you know, I'm going to Sahil, but like, hey, I'm going to come hang out, right? Mm -hmm. I speed up my spaceship. What happens is everything like in the direction of Sahil, because I'm going toward it, mm -hmm. will be blue shifted. I'll see kind of like more and more energy. And you can kind of, I guess the experience would be kind of like, imagine, imagine the, in, like things that are in front of you become intensified, kind of just like, whoa, like the particles become so much en more energetic. And everything that I'm leaving behind, like things are playing catch up in this spaceship, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of like leaving behind more and more in some ways, the world behind me mm -hmm. and going more and more toward the world in front of me mm -hmm. in a more extreme way, if, 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 if that makes sense at all. So that's sort of what it would feel like as you approach that speed of light. I see, I see. So when you talk about blue shift and red shift, I understand like in the context of sound waves, it's mm -hmm. not actual like light, it means the actual frequency of the sound waves themselves. But in the context of like the spaceship moving forward, when you talk about blue shift and red shift, it's not the actual particles, but it's the, it's the light emitted from the particles that you see that has maybe like higher frequency. And then if you look behind you, it's lower frequency. It it's both actually, because okay. particles, um, they are waves themselves. Okay. So the atomic structure of Sahil is gonna get like intensified in some ways. Well, I mean, it, like things are gonna be compressed. I, I, I guess to some extent, if I go faster and faster, the, the Sahil will actually turn into more like a pancake shape, you know, and, and all, your skin tone will become a lot more blue. Oh, at some point it's gonna just blast me with gamma radiation. So, so that's too bad. Um, <laughs> and in the same way, like things that are be behind me are kind of, um, how do I put this, will be kind of like more like elongated, I guess, right? It'll be kind of like stretched out, you know, it, it sort of makes a little bit of intuitive sense, kind of. Huh. So are you saying like, as the direction you're, if you're heading towards me, you'll see me kind of getting more flattened like a pancake and also like you'll see like more blue light or more like higher frequency light coming mm -hmm. towards you. Um, in addition to like seeing me be more blue. So I'll be like more like a member of the blue man group. If this is your ending. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and then everybody else you look behind will appear to get more stretched out 
and like redder and redder in a certain sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So then my question is like, why is it so hard to move at the speed of light? Can't you just take like more protein shakes and just run or like, <laughs> what's, what's going on with that? So if we go through this thought experiment, of course, it, it will turn out that it's impossible. Um, and I'll explain why with a caveat. And it turns out that it's, it actually is possible in some ways. But, but let me go through, go, go, go through the first thing first, okay? Yeah. Why is it impossible? It's because if you just go through this exercise where I'm just gonna try harder, blast more energy out, out of the spaceship, go faster, the space-time in front of me becomes more and more degenerate. And the space-time's kind of behind me become more and more kind of uh, tuning out. And in the limit where I go, go to exactly, let's say theoretically, I go exactly to the speed of light, it's actually very interesting. The space, because everything gets so compressed, the way I see the universe, will, will, space-time itself, will be completely crushed into an infinitesimally thin pancake. Hmm. Basically, just like a two-dimensional sheet. And everything that's behind me will be completely irrelevant because all the energy will dial down all the way to zero. Everything that's in front of me will dial, down, uh, will dial up all the way to infinite. Hmm. So that's what you will see. You actually see the universe as a sheet. And clearly, the universe is not a sheet. Uh, the way I see it, this sheet is sort of like a subset, like a slice of the universe. It contains some information, but not all of it. But it's a very intriguing view of the universe. But, that, but then you, you can see how kind of degenerate that mathematical transformation is. You're basically crushing the entire universe and, and in this viewpoint. And all the radiation from you, Sahil, will become so hot would just burn it, it have infinite energy basically right uh -huh. it'll become so hot and infinite that you just have infinite energy everywhere so that's not possible it can't happen so it's because you it just in physics things just can't be infinite right so so physically it cannot happen and and the only way it can happen when things are not infinite like you know in order to fight infinity like you need something you need zero <laughs> so <laughs> Basically, when zero times infinity, you might actually get something reasonable, right? And that's only, and that, that number is the mass of you, right? So anytime you go to, to the speed of light, if you have some mass, you can't. But if you are, have mass zero, you by default travel at the speed of light. You know, you travel, I don't know if you call that luxury or not. But at the same time, you cannot slow down because <laughs> you're stuck. Because if you slow down, I guess you have zero energy because all of a sudden you have to like, boom, just like get cut off and you might as well not exist, right? You know, if you have zero energy, just completely irrelevant, they have no interaction. Huh, what you're saying is either, it's, so the only way to really move at the speed of light is to just have no mass. And so to just lose all of your weight, just like go on yeah, just diet and then I can, I can achieve the speed of light is what you're saying. Yeah, okay. it, it, it's sort of like what uh, I don't know if you watch Avatar. You gotta become one, like the air master. You gotta become one with the lose all your earthly belongings and just become massless. And in some sense, it, it's quite poetic because um, if you kind of believe in the state of the universe, ultimately everything will turn into black holes. They'll decay, and at the end of the day, everything—you, me, Earth, galaxies, Andromeda, the entire universe—will decay into radiation. 
So in the very ultimate end of the universe, we all become light. Traveling in luxury, however you put it, at the speed of light, well, of course, many, many different light particles. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're going to see, we're going to view, like space-time become completely irrelevant. You see eternity. Eternity will be crushed into these sheets of viewpoints of the universe, planes, right? So each particle of light will see one sheet of, you know, that represent a slice of the universe. Yeah. Another particle of light will experience another slice of the universe. Huh. And this is a very interesting view, kind of like... um almost like a holographic view. It's almost like you're projecting the universe on the different sheets, right? Yeah. It's, it's actually a very nice viewpoint that some theoretical physicists have taken and it's driving a lot of interest and in research in this viewpoint. Yeah, I, I want to I take a small step back and say it's not exactly the holographic principle because you mentioned like you lose quote unquote some information because right, you right. see what's behind you only really see what's in front of you right yeah of course then you you can sum over all the all these screens right it's not you, you know like one part one particle of light will see one sheet uh -huh. that has one slice of the universe yeah but if you sum over all these possible light particle all their sheet it's almost like um like a screen of the universe moving at the speed of light uh. that kind of captures that you can think of it this way that it kind of encapsulates everything about the universe ultimately and then what in some poetic way yeah you can think of them as the holographic screen kind of oh. i see i see so i want to before we go any further there's one term you use i just want to make sure we clarify for the for the listeners um use the word degenerate what do you mean by space-time gets degenerate like as oh you... yeah by degenerate it means it's sort of like a ill-defined like it's, it's a really ill-defined thing I guess this word, word is kind of loosely defined. It just it just it's just a, a way to describing things that are kind of insane in, in, in a way that it doesn't look like what it you, what you become. Like it's it's something that's not reversible in some ways, right? Like you can compress the entire universe into a ha a sheet. Mm -hmm. Of course, that doesn't encapsulate the entire universe. But mathematically, you can't you cannot use the information on, on one sheet to reconstruct the universe. So that's that's why it's it's degenerate in some way. I guess it's just uh, like you're losing information, you're just crushing them together. Gosh, yeah. So degenerate just in this context means that even if you had the sheet and you knew everything about the sheet, you still wouldn't be able to reconstruct all of the universe because you're missing information. In that right, case. but you could combine this, this different sheets and reconstruct the universe this way using different sheet. And, and, and I, I like to use the word, the screen. It's kind of like, it, it's, a, it's, it's sort of the image. It's, it's this poetic image that everything in the universe will maybe ultimately see the particles of light and you just see, you know, and you just sum them all up and that gives you the entire universe. Cool. It's actually a very nice technical term. Um, these, um, these images were envisioned by Roger Penrose. I think he got the Nobel prize, I think recently. Uh, and he invented this thing called the twister space. This is actually how, how he envisioned it. This is a way to think about the universe, right? Maybe information about the universe is encoded in this way. But very speculative, very mathematical, very technical. Yeah. So be before I ask you about these sheets, I want to get to an audience question. Mm -hmm. And it's asking, is there a max possible human speed that we could potentially reach some fraction of C? Uh, there, there is no there is no practical limit. And, and, and also, I, I want to get to the loophole. 
we're just doing this very limited thought experiment where you're just in flat, technically speaking, very flat space time and you're just charging for it. Oh, of course, you can't get to the speed of light. But there are ways around it. There are ways around it. That's why they're like warp drives. And, and of course, we'll get to that. Uh, black holes, it's a, it's a great warp drive. And well, what, what are these loopholes? The lawyer side of me is starting to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the loophole comes in when you consider Einstein's general theory of relativity, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, the speed limit just tells you that, hey, Sahil, if, if I'm nearby to you and the space time is not so curved, and, you know, you're not going to see me moving, you know, faster than the speed of light, right? Yeah. But of course, let's say if, if I'm many galaxies away, like in Star Wars, you know, I have like the concept of speed is almost irrelevant, right? It's like, hey, Sahil, in this uh, two or three galaxies around, you know, I, I maybe he had to me, he has to move less than the speed of light. I can't even see you that, that many galaxies away. Yeah. Right. It would take millions of years for the speed of light to travel to me. How am I to, to have a constraint on your speed or the speed at which you travel, right? That's uh -huh. silly. So at, at long distance or really high curvature, this, this limit is actually, you, you, can, you can get around it. That's why there are these constructs where you imagine greater warp drive, mm -hmm. you can warp space-time so much such that, let, let's say when I'm just a little outside of, of the warp drive, okay. because space-time is so warped, I can't really measure your speed in a, in a reasonable way. But then maybe your whole warp drive could move actually faster, like as a whole on average, than the speed of light. But you, but then you didn't violate anything because if I really were to come into the warp drive or get close to it to measure you, mm -hmm. you're not actually moving at the speed of light. But it's because space time is so warped that this can happen. And the same situation goes with things like the Hubble volume and black holes, uh, as, as we'll get to. Oh, it's actually not the, the limit is um, not exact. So I want to, you know, dig, dig into one of the things you mentioned about being really far away. Like if I'm in a vacuum and you're really far away and I get one light signal that comes like basically at some sort of cadence and I see like, oh, you're here. Mm. And then like another second later, I see that you're there. Couldn't I say that that's your speed, even if it's not very meaningful? Like, yes, yes, you could. You could if you're, if you're really far away in flat space time. If space time is flat, you can you can do that, right? Okay. But okay. imagine you have a warp drive. You try to send a light signal out to me. That light has to go through all this warping, and maybe yeah. as you as you measure the, the the ticking of the of the light, you're probably not going to measure the speed of light. Actually, actually, I don't know how how that would go, but. It'll, 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 I think it will all be okay. The key is that your experiment relies on the fact that there's kind of like a nice straight shot between you and I, uh -huh. and there's no crazy curvature for the light. And another good example is um, black holes. Yeah. So if you look at black hole horizon, what defines the black hole horizon? It's the point of no return, but really, why is that? It's because space time is stretching faster than the speed of light. So from the outsider perspective, uh, if you really think about it mathematically, let, let's say I point to the event horizon and Sahil, you're like, oh, let's see, let's see how fast Tim is moving. Yeah. If you look at the math formula, yeah, I will be moving at the speed of light at the event horizon, but you couldn't measure it because it's the point of no return. Like I passed through it, oh, sorry, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to send any signal to you, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that 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 does make sense. I guess like from the warped space point of view, if we if we go back to that, um, are you saying there could be so if I imagine let's suppose you're in the warp drive, I'm outside, I want to measure how fast you're moving, and you know, you emanate light or some kind of pulse or radiation or something, and the first pulse hits me, and then the second pulse hits me, but I don't know like how far you've moved in this warp space and maybe the pulse that hits me might be like much much later on because it could be a kind of loosely speaking like a chaotic sort of warping where like if you emit one you know photon of radiation out and then you move a little bit and you emit another one it could end up in a completely different like location outside yeah and, and you might even i don't know the technicality of some of these warp drive uh -huh. theoretical papers uh, in some cases, you might not even be able to receive the, the, the signal. Like a good analogy is like the black hole. Mm. Let, let's go to a more conventional scenario, like the expansion of the universe. Space is stretching more and more. Yep. And if you look really, really far away, imagine like Tim heads out in this direction, you know, yeah. and just blast himself off to really far away. Eventually, he'll go past what we call the Hubble volume, mm -hmm. meaning that uh, me, me with respect to you, I will be moving faster than the speed of light because the the, the space space time is expanding, mm -hmm. stretching more and more. Right? Yeah. And in that in that case, at some point, like let's let's say I keep sending you signals so you can keep track of time. Be like, hey, oh, this is one year Tim time, and let's see how far he goes. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Let's say I send you a signal, right? At some point, once I go beyond that Hubble uh, horizon, well, I can't send you signals anymore because <laughs> because space time is stretching so fast. The light. The light will never reach you. I mean, at that precise, like, like let, let's say at that precise location where it's like I'm just approaching speed of light, the light signal will get so dim, right? Be, be, because remember, as I'm moving yep. forward, everything behind me will get dimmer, well, kind of like stretched out, dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, yeah. like redshifted. That light signal will be redshifted to, to negative infinity, well, to, to, to zero, basically. Yeah. It will have no energy. It might as well not exist, basically. Oh. So I have a question for you. Let's suppose space time was like fully flat, but you had this like expanding part, just, mm -hmm. just like kind of go in that sort of model. And you kept going further away from me. And eventually at a long enough distance, you go outside the subtle volume, so you can't send me signals. But you had mentioned earlier that like the long distance measurement if your space time is flat is still like valid in a certain sense like you can mm -hmm. do it what is what's the difference between that case and like this case space is still flat it is expanding but you go past a certain volume like what how can i think about that yeah i mean you could you could get a notion of like speed but that that notion of speed is not it's not that meaningful right that's why it doesn't it's not going to follow einstein's constraint so so yeah th there's definitely some notion of speed that you can compute that could exceed the the speed of light like the way at which galaxies are receding you know that that's a very real thing in as astronomy and you can you can project it let's say in the future you know at some point the speed can can exceed the speed of light yeah you, you can you can you can come up with notions like that but that doesn't violate any particular law right and it, it, yeah it's not quite sure how useful that would be because it's not like you can ever catch up to that person and be like hey you know that was great great job by the way to you know <laughs> go faster than the speed of light um so uh, so we have a we have a comment slash question from an audience member 
who says, seems like cheating. If you can't measure, observe it. If it's too far away, anything could happen. Like question mark. I mean, to some extent, it's true. You, you, can, you can argue it's true. So, so, so this question, it's a bit of a give or take. Yeah, there is this law in physics that if you can't measure it, uh, even in principle, like, is that really real? Like, this is where physics gets murky, right? Like, we have many episodes talk about holographic principle, entanglement. And maybe you can't measure it, but maybe there's some entanglement there either. Maybe there's a different perspective of looking at it. So I don't know. Right. But but maybe this question is just this human at the end of the day, it's just a human insistence to to have some numbers greater than some other numbers. So, <laughs> so I don't know how valid <laughs> or how interesting that question is anyway. But yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess like it, why I guess like how how is this useful thinking about if we can never actually go at the speed of light like why bother even thinking about it like what it means to go at the speed of light that reference frame it's not accessible to us yeah I mean of course if you only insist on thinking about that problem maybe it's not so interesting but I think a lot, a lot of times physics new breakthroughs are created when when people think of these weird scenarios like like originally Einstein thought of this thought experiment. He thought about what it would be like to ride on a beam of light. I think this is, actually, I don't know if this is fake news or not. I just, <laughs> I, I didn't verify it. So let's put it that way. But that, that got him intriguing. I mean, ultimately he didn't have to answer that question. It intrigued him to come up with the theory of relativity. In the same way, you think about these scenarios that we can cheat, like, oh yeah, go into a black hole or eons later we all decay into light and then we're going to move at the speed of light and then we we see these sheet we see slices of the universe in a you know very poetic way and then that also gives you the holographic principle and twister space and and really really more interesting stuff like that i would say sure like as a question maybe it doesn't make sense but it leads to other intriguing ideas that can become really fruitful that can really drive the next breakthrough to understand how our universe is you know because quite frankly this is this is fascinating and and it's it's kind of boggles the mind like mm -hmm. space-time is way it's way more intricate than you think just because humans don't move very fast <laughs> on earth <laughs> that doesn't mean that where things are out there so are, are you saying like you can you can sort of reconstruct the holographic principle or like at least gives more credence to it because you can take these like 2D sheets and if you sum over them with all the photons coming out, then it gives rise to like, as if you're kind of projecting the universe onto like a two-dimensional screen of like of some kind of surface in a certain sense. Yeah, I wouldn't say it confirms it. I would say that it's another piece of evidence that tells you how intricate space-time is. Like this is an, uh, just one of the many pictures, a holographic way of viewing the universe. That's one way. And you look at the analogy with black holes, like the surface of black holes could encode everything inside it. That's another perspective, very similar. And again, the analogy is there, like going, getting closer and closer to the speed of light is like falling into a black hole. You see these analogies. In fact, the math is very, very close. And the third one is imagining things moving so far away because of the expansion of the universe. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, and eventually you don't, you don't see them anymore. They move too fast. And it's almost like we're kind of in a black hole in some ways. Hmm. And you might argue that maybe our universe is kind of encoded in the, on the surface of this horizon. So they're just 
multiple intriguing ways, completely independent in some ways. I mean, they're related, but they're kind of like completely from different thought experiments. That points to the same concept of the holographic principle. And you, you just got scratching your head. This is one of the instances it feels like, you know, there's something there with discovering physics. Nobody knows really what the answer is. It's very, very intricate theoretical stuff, but. Oh. So one question I want to ask you, just just to like also for my clarity and, and maybe the audience's clarity is like you mentioned this it's the similar situation that as you head towards speed of light, it's like approaching the event horizon of a black hole. But the way you described it is when you like reach the speed of light, like the universe gets flattened into a pancake uh, effectively. But when you go through like the event horizon of a black hole, I don't see I don't want imagine I see the universe getting flattened to a pancake, right? Yeah, sure. because because as you go into black hole, it kind of has this phase transition. At some point, like, I mean, I encourage everyone to to check out some of the YouTube videos on what it feels like to find the black hole. It's very yeah. interesting. So it's like you, you as you fall for for to the black hole, the universe behind you kind of keeps shrinking, shrinking, shrinking in your in your visual view. Yeah. And at some point, once you pass that event horizon, it's gone. You know, like you you cannot escape anymore. It's irrelevant to you. And you kind of just channel through in this new universe. Uh -huh. And I think this is, this, is, this is a very similar experience. Imagine if you were to theoretically force something to accelerate whatever it takes, infinite energy to go to the speed of light and go beyond. It's gonna be very similar. All the things behind you will completely fade away. And as you go past this flip, you're gonna, the, the perception is you're gonna see a, a like a different view of the universe. Oh. It, the, the mathematics is very similar. It, it's um, going to a wormhole kind of, and kind of just coming out and, and have a per different perspective of, the, of a different universe. Oh. Wow. So are you, are you speculating that like inside of a black hole could have like, you, like a separate, not universe how we think of it, because it can be very different, but in a sense, like inside of black holes, its own like universe. I'm using that in quotes. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I would be very intrigued to find out. But of course, I'll never come back to tell the, to tell the tale. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think with that, we are uh, we're definitely way over time. Uh, <laughs> any any concluding thoughts you want to say to our audience before we head out? Yeah, I would say, can we go at the speed of light? How or how can we? I guess yeah. You know, the short answer may be like, no, but it's like a soft no. There are ways to cheat around it. And if you really try hard to cheat, you get into these really interesting scenarios of like warpings and black holes, event horizons. And it's a nice story. <laughs> <laughs> so all you do is not be measurable. And I'm yeah, it just can't. Yeah. No, you can't tell. You can't tell anyone else about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so with that, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us and we'll see you all next week. Yeah. See you all next week. Bye.